God because he is a refuge and he is a safe place. So tonight, if you feel like you're in danger, tonight if you feel like you need safety, the psalm says, run to God, take refuge beside him. Our first verse is quite interesting because in first reading, you might think, well, it's actually just saying the same thing twice, isn't it? It's a bit like saying, he who finds shelter with God, finds shelter with God. But actually that misses the poetry of this verse because it's better read like this. He who finds shelter with God will absolutely, completely, really does, really will find rest, really will shelter in the shadow of the Almighty. It's kind of like a double promise. The first promise, first sentence is, this is a promise. Second sentence is, and this promise really is promised to you. On our first two verses, we also see four different ways of addressing God. We have most high, which one commentator points out is like the earliest name for God. Way back in Genesis 14, we have the almighty we have the Lord, and when we see Lord written in all capitals in, it, in the Bible, we know that it's the name Yahweh, it's the covenant name of God the, God, the name that God gives to his people to know him, and his name that reveals who he is. And then the fourth one is just God, just the generic word for him. And my point is this, that whenever this psalm is prayed, whenever this psalm is sung, it isn't just sung or prayed to any old God, to whatever God happens to be listening but to the one true God, the God who has revealed himself to his people over and over again, a God over who thousands of years has says, you can trust me, you can rely on me, I love you, I'm compassionate, I'm caring, I'm generous, and I am for you. Those names are also important in giving us safety. Say you're out uh, for a hike one evening and you come across a torrential storm, uh, and up here on this side you see a lovely wooden shack. And on this side, you see a stone fortress. And you think to yourself, in this thunderstorm, where am I going to take refuge? Shack or fortress? Whenever it comes to taking shelter, do we want to take shelter in a pathetic God? In a mighty God? In a high God? Or would we not so much rather take refuge in the almighty God? The most high God? The most awesome, powerful biggest being in the entire universe we know that in this psalm we can run to god because his name tells us who he is that he is the almighty that he is the most high that's our first two verses and then throughout the rest of the psalm we read of different situations in which we might want to take shelter in him how can the person trusting who trusts in god expect god to help them so in verse three we read that we If we trust in God, we should expect uh, protection from the snare of the fowler. When enemies try to trap you and to trick you and to uh, trip you up, people who seek your destruction, that's a place where God will uh, bring safety. Verses 5 and 6, from the terror of night, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, the destruction that wastes at noonday. And we could talk and speculate about all what those different things might mean, but notice the timings. These verses are saying that morning, noon, and night, even at midday, God is protecting you around the clock. God is protecting his people. Verses 9 and 10 say that when we trust in God, or he who trusts in God, should not fear plagues. Not only that, 
that they shouldn't be afraid of any evil because it will not befall them. And it's maybe at this point we need to stop and say, what is God saying here? What does this promise of protection mean? Because if God's promise is that if I trust in him, no evil will ever befall me. If it is that I will never get sick, that I will never be afraid of my enemies, that I will never be afraid of the dark, to ramp it up to our current major context, if God is saying here that if I trust in him, I won't get sick from COVID, then either God is lying about his promise or either I don't trust in him properly because we know that's not what life is like as Christians. There's either a problem with God and what he says or there's a problem with me and my faith. And hopefully we'll see that there's a problem with neither. But we do know that being a Christian doesn't magically make your life easier. It doesn't mean that the weather will always be sunny when you go on holidays. It doesn't mean that you or a loved one won't get cancer. Being a Christian doesn't mean that automatically tragic, sad, crushing life events won't happen to you. And in fact, life might actually get a bit harder. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus tells his disciples that they will face persecution from kings, from their mothers, from their brothers, from their families, from their friends, because they trust in Jesus. It seems that Christianity doesn't make your life easier, but actually, in fact, it might make your life harder. We've been going through the book of Acts in our evening services Uh, And uh, anybody who's been sitting through the events of Paul's life cannot say that he had an easy life. And his life was the way it was because he trusted in God, he loved God, and he was on mission for God. Uh, One American pastor writes this. If God's love for his children is measured by our health, our wealth, our comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. So then... As Christians who live in a real, fallen, sinful world, how do we make sense of these promises that are before us? Because there is real, true safety to be found on them. One thing that's very important to do when you study any passage of the Bible is to say, how does this passage point to Jesus? In fact, whenever Jesus was alive, walking about on earth, as a Jewish boy being brought up in a Jewish home, learning Jewish scriptures in the synagogue, How did Jesus read this and how did Jesus understand it? And that's very important in this case because this psalm is about Jesus. The reason I read from the ESV a minute ago is because there's a difference in translation with the first verse. That NIV starts off with whoever dwells, where the ESV starts off with he who dwells. And it's not that the ESV is being sexist. It's not that the ESV is saying this promise only applies to men, but it's saying that this promise applies to one specific man. This psalm isn't just any old song. It's a prophecy all about Jesus. Because who but Jesus could say 100% consistently, faithfully, that they have always abided in God's shadow? Who can say But Jesus, like the person in verses 14 and 16, that they have always held fast to God, that they've always loved God, that they've always known, honoured and delighted in his name. And the second reason we know that this is about Jesus is because Satan quotes it to him. 
That reading that we read earlier from Matthew. Uh, Before that story, we have the the baptism of Jesus. uh, And we hear the voice from the cloud. And the voice says, you are my beloved son, God speaking to his father. And in the next passage, we have Satan coming to Jesus and saying, well, if you are God's son. And he comes to him with this psalm, knowing that it's about Jesus. Because he says, if Jesus, you really are God's son then this passage will apply to you. You should be able to throw yourself off the temple and God will protect you because he commanded his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You might have read that passage before and wonder, well, what is the temptation there? Because isn't the devil just getting Jesus to do something that it says in the Bible that Jesus can do? But Jesus says no. He won't do that. He can't do that. Because doing that would be to be putting God, his father, to the test. The devil wants Jesus to show off. To show people around him. To show the crowd below the temple who he is. But we know that Jesus didn't come to earth for a moment of fame or for amusement, or to put his father in heaven to the test, he's not going to dangle that promise in front of God and say, look, father, if I do this, you have to keep me safe. If I jump off this temple, you better send your angels to come down here and protect me. Satan doesn't misquote this Bible verse, but he does misapply it. He misapplies it to mean, Jesus, you do whatever you want, because God has to help you. But that's not what this psalm says. And Jesus knows that. Unsurprisingly, Jesus is better at understanding the Bible than the devil is. This psalm has the condition that God keeps safe those people who dwell in him, who take shelter in him, who abide in him. But if Jesus was to test God like this, he would no longer be abiding and trusting in God. He would be moving out of that place of trust and trusting in himself. Going his own way in life. Following his own will. This promise of safety that God gives to his son can't be taken out of its context of a loving relationship. Jesus couldn't have used this promise like a magic wand or like a superpower. That whatever he does, God has to keep him safe. But this promise relies on Jesus being the loving son of God who always abides in him. We too can misapply this verse or these verses in front of us by saying no matter what I do in my life, no matter what I do with my health, my wealth, my education, my business ventures, my income, my marriage, my kids, my family, I'll be okay because whenever things get tough, all I have to do is say, God help me. And this Psalm says that he must help me. But there is real safety to be found in these words. There is a real place of abiding with God. A real place in which nothing can harm you. This is not a lie or or a trick. But in this psalm we find real rest. Real safety. And you and I can take real tangible encouragement from this tonight. And that encouragement is this. That even though arrows fly over the top of our heads. Even though destruction might be all around us. Even though there is terror at night, even though there are plagues and evil, they will not destroy us. Because God is our fortress, because his wings protect us, because his faithfulness is like a shield protecting us. 
This psalm doesn't say that life is going to be easy, that troubles won't come near to you. It's not a promise that you'll live a life of rainbows and unicorns and that everything you do will succeed and that nothing bad will ever happen to you. But it's a promise that through and in those terrible things of life that you will be safe. Let's have a look again at the life of Jesus. So we've said that Jesus is the person who this psalm applies to most. That he, uh, out of anyone who has ever lived, is the only person who is fully trusted in God. That this psalm is most true about him. So what kind of life does Jesus live? Does God spare him from every trial, trouble, plot and evil? Yes and no. Even though Jesus is rejected, betrayed, abandoned, He clings to God. He honors God's name. He trusts in him. Even when Jesus is experiencing real anxiety, real anguish, real agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that God's plan for him is to die on the cross for the sin of the world, Jesus prays, Father, your will be done. In other words, Jesus prays, I will dwell in the shelter of the Most High and I will trust in him. Then, when Jesus does die, when he is buried, what does God do? Well, he delivers him. He raises him up into perfect resurrection life. Is this psalm true in the life of Jesus? Yes. Because even though he suffered horribly on the cross, experienced pain like no other, the almighty high God does keep him safe, does deliver him, not from evil, but through evil and in the midst of evil. If that's how that psalm works in the life of Jesus, then we should expect this psalm to work the same way in ours. Going back to the passage I talked about at the beginning from Luke, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, telling them that they will be persecuted. This is what he says. You will be delivered up by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but... Not a hair on the top of your head will perish. Some of you will be put to death, but not a hair on the top of your head will perish. That's what God's protection looks like. Safe even through death itself. All of these disciples that are listening to Jesus around this table, all but one, tradition tells us, all died by persecution But Jesus says that not even one single hair on the top of their head will be harmed. That all will be saved. Because death is no threat. Because of the cross of Jesus, it has been defeated and destroyed. Have a look down at Psalm 91. Have a look at verses 12 and 13. Satan a moment ago was very, very concerned where Jesus was putting his feet. That they shouldn't get hurt on rocks. But let's look again at these same feet. And now the psalm is telling us where these feet will stand, what they will crush, what they will bruise, the lion and the serpent. Both biblical images for the devil and echoes a promise going way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, that one day a promised saviour will come and destroy his enemy. That that saviour will break the curse of sin and death and making a way for those who turn to God to be safe forever. That the people who turn to God would have satisfying eternal life and that God would show his people 
salvation. Okay, a quick recap. This psalm is telling us that even though trials come, even though there's heartbreak, even though there's pain, if we trust in God, we will not perish. That no matter what happens to us, even if we die, we will be safe. So then how do we trust in God? Well, we dwell with him. We take shelter with him. We align ourselves with him, with his word, with his commands. From our psalm, verses 14 and 16 are in quotation marks. Because God himself is talking to he who trusts in him. He's talking to Jesus and he says, because he loves me, because he acknowledges my name, because he calls on me, I will save him. There are some good places to start. Like Jesus, do you love God? Do you acknowledge his name? Do you talk to him? Do you pray to him? Do you call on his help? And again, this isn't just remembering God when things get tough and hard, when life doesn't go our way, but it's living in his shadow continually. It's like a life posture that everything we do, how we live our lives, how we trust in anything we trust in God, we follow his path and his plan for our lives. It is only there we are safe. One more Bible passage for us. It's a quick one. In Matthew 17, Jesus says this to his disciples. Matthew 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Pursuing God, dwelling in his shadow, living for him by denying yourself is the only safe place to be. The only place that Jesus says that you will save yourself. Dwelling with God means forsaking all other places of safety, no matter how comfortable or satisfying they might be, and living only for him. Is living for Jesus hard? Yes. Is living for Jesus dangerous? It could be. But is living for Jesus safe? Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this psalm and we are overwhelmed at your protection. How you put your wings over us to protect us. How you gather us up like little chicks under your wings. That your faithfulness to us is like a shield over us. We are astounded, God, by how much you love us and how much you want to protect us. And we pray, Lord, that even though life will be hard and life will be tough, we will not doubt this promise, God, that even though we die, we will be kept safe by you. We pray, Lord, that we would know even more what it means to dwell in you, to dwell with you, to dwell beside you, that we might abandon living life for ourselves and live it for you and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are going to listen to a final song sang by David and by Rachel. And it's a song that invites us to pray the words that the Lord would be our vision, would be our wisdom, would be our breastplate, would be our everything, and would be our prize at the end.